the, the topic is very complex and very multifaceted, but for many, it's equal to recycling and waste management, which is basically narrowing it down to only the end of life of a product or of a material. If you look at circularity end to end, it's much, much broader than that. It starts with how do I design products? How do I design buildings? How do I design things so that they can last longer, that they can be reused, that they can be refurbished, and that the resources are used in the most efficient way. And resources here includes material resources, but also resources like water and energy, which specifically in an urban context is, is very, very important. Welcome to the Urbanista, where we discuss the water management challenges of Nordic cities. From safe drinking water distribution and stormwater collection to building sustainable urban living environments. Here is your host, Delphine Vassalo. Hey, welcome back, urbanistas. Thank you so much for placing play. Circular economy has been a concept that has increased in popularity in recent years. Many people talk about it, quote it, use it, and maybe misuse it sometimes. But how exactly circular economy is defined? How it's applied in different industries? Uh, in particular, what, what is the progress being made in our industry, in the construction industry? Today's guest is someone who really knows about this topic. So who are you and what do you do? Thanks, Stefan. Great to be here. My name is Michael Hanf. Um, I work as a lead sustainable business as VTT, the Technical Research Center of Finland. And my role is basically to facilitate the transfer of research findings and insights from our very diverse research teams into actionable strategies for companies and organizations. Um, over the past 20 Plus years, I've been working in management and strategy consulting, primarily on the intersection between strategy, digital technology, and sustainable and sustainability and circularity. So, really looking forward to talk with you today about the topic. And something that you should know for our listeners, something that you should know is that he's also host of the Circular Coffee Break podcast, which we also will will uh, link in the show notes. So you also can and go and listen. I have been listening, of course. Uh, Michael has lots of very good and insightful uh, guests. And uh, so, yeah, we will put the, the link there. It's super nice, all those conversations that you have had for the last year or so, I believe, you have been doing it. <laughs> Yeah, so so it has been a year with with very different guests from very different industries, um, from construction to textile. The latest one was around beauty and cosmetics. So looking at circularity through very different lenses, as we believe there's a lot to learn um, across industries um, on how to approach the topic and, and how to become more circular. All right. So having said that, so we have our coffee here. Exactly for for the coffee, well, not coffee break, but yeah. So, so Michael, talking about as I was saying in the introduction, circular economy is sometimes used or misused. We hear it everywhere, quoted in many different ways. It's it seems that it it means different things for for different people. So, as a concept, how would you define it? How you how you see this from where from where it came, and and what what would be a good definition of circular economy? 
Very, very good question, Devin. Thanks. So circularity has indeed been a topic that, that has become very popular in, I would say, the last one to two years. And it, it has been used uh, very uh, liberally, I would say, by, by different people. I I would argue it's not part of the mainstream yet, but it's it's getting there. So in its core, circular economy is all about resource efficiency. So how can we use the resources uh, that we use in the most efficient and effective way and provide these resources a very long lifetime? Um, as you said, the, the topic is very complex and very multifaceted, but for many, it's equal to recycling and waste management, which is basically narrowing it down to only the end of life of a product or of a material. Um, if you look at circularity end to end, it's much, much broader than that. It starts with how do I design products? How do I design buildings? How do I design um, things so that they can last longer, that they can be reused, that they can be refurbished? Um, and that the resources are used in the most efficient way. And resources here includes material resources, but also resources like water and energy, which specifically in an urban context is, is very, very important. That's exactly what uh, we have been uh, hearing or, or reading, that many times circular economy is used interchangeably with recycling. And well, as, as you pointed out, okay, that is just one aspect of it, or let's say the, the final aspect. But would you say then circularity starts from the planning or from the ideation of the product, service, or or, or building or whatever you are going to to to, to uh, mm. produce? So it's starting from the idea in the, in the planning when you are we are mm. creating whatever we are uh, going to produce. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, to to stay in the urban context, I mean, if you if you think about a building, um, you basically start with planning the building with understanding what are the resources I will be using. Will I be using recycled material? Will I be using bio-based material? Will I be using virgin materials? Then I need to make a decision. How do I minimize the usage of those resources? So how can I, in the best way possible, uh, build, use the resources in the building? Then the next step is I, I don't want to build for a very short time period. So I don't want the building to last for a year and then after a year I have to tear the building down. I need to think long term. How can I make the, the building modular? How can I make it repairable? How can I, can I ensure that the usage of the building can be adjusted over its lifetime so that the building can be used for 50, 100 years down the road? And then at the end of the life cycle, a lifetime of the building, I need to think about how can I make the materials that have been used to be reused, refurbished, or recycled in, in that context? So can I use window frames again? Can I use specific elements in the building again? And naturally, as you said, all of this starts with the design phase. So in the design phase, I already set the path for a lot of these later steps that, that I've just been outlining. But at the same time, circularity actually goes across the, the, the life cycle of a product from the initial planning to the production to the use phase and then beyond basically back into the circle in how the materials are used. So if we start to um, break down this, all the things that you have just said, first, the lifetime of, of the final product, 
if if there's one individual product, I have a pain here, okay, this will have one year, two years, etc. We can pretty well foresee and we will see in the end, after two or three years, what is the result of what we plan. Mm-hmm. But the problem, well, problem, the situation that we have uh, in general in the construction industry, whether it's public infrastructure or it's a private commercial, whatever type of building, is that we plan it, we build it, and as you said, well, the intention is that we last 20, 50, 100 years. I mean, neither you and me will be here in 100 years, for sure. So how do we ensure that whatever we put inside of this project, bridge, park, building, whatever, will be indeed that the circularity will be leveraged within 100 years. So it's, we can plan it as best as we can, um, but if within 100 years, what, what will be needed within 100 years to really make that final project uh, circular? It, that, that's an excellent question that I think um, we don't have an answer to um, at, at this point in time. Um, so I, I recently had a discussion with a company that works in the construction space. And what they've been saying is that there's a lot of demand for recycled material in the products that they're doing. At the same time, they cannot use the material that they've been building into their products 50 years ago because the requirements when it comes to chemicals, when it comes to the usage of material was very different and it's not complying with today's regulation um, in, in that context. So what we will be facing is that we will always plan from our perspective today. That's why it's important to keep the the long term in perspective in focus here. Uh, But that will definitely not not save us from still making mistakes or making decisions that basically 50 years down the road, we we would have made differently uh, than, than what we have today. At the same time, I think we've come a long way in actually defining the principles uh, of circular economy, of circularity. I think there's a lot happening also in the regulatory space at the moment. A lot is happening on the on the city and municipality space around the topic in order to make sure that we create a framework that will be able to support also these long-term uh, long-term developments uh, around usage of resources uh, going forward. Yeah, as you rightly point out, the buildings or or the yeah the buildings that were built fifty years ago on their um, standards of fifty years ago, or maybe without no standard whatsoever, because we we don't know how how the legislation was. Uh, so we have them there. The materials cannot be reused, let alone recycled. Mm-hmm. So, is is the starting point really? put in a solid legal framework that that will last for years I, I think I think it's it's a combination of many things as, as so often um, I think the regulatory frame is an important one because it creates a level playing field so so that everyone understands what are the rules that we're playing by at the same time I think we're all needed in this. So the regulator is needed, but also we as consumers are needed. So I, if I'm building a house, if, if I'm planning a house for myself, uh, I need to take these things in mind. If I'm a company that is basically contributing 
in the built environment, in the urban landscape, then I need to take these things into consideration. Um, and it's, it's, regulation is always doomed to, to basically follow in, in many cases and, and not set the pace, even though that's changing a little bit when it comes to environmental legislation and circularity topics at the moment. Um, so it's up to all of us to basically follow that. If I'm an architect, I need to take these things into consideration. If I'm an urban planner, I need to take these things into, into consideration, not because of the regulation, but just because it makes sense from a societal, from an environmental uh, point of view in that context. So regulation is one ingredient, but there's, there's many others there that will play and, and will need to play a role. Starting from that, uh, societal or, or, or social impact, which is actually something that we have been discussing previously with uh, with a couple of people from the Green Building Council, Finland. And so start from the people. What is the exactly what is the impact that they may have? And uh, yeah, starting from there. So now you quoted, you said like plural. We we need to create. We need to do. Who are these we? Because that's what we have been realizing. On one hand, I mean, from, from our side, we are the manufacturers of the building materials. On the, there should be the construction companies. Of course, the people who is planning, the actual urban designer, planner, who works for another one, the municipality or, or whoever is the investor, even the private investor. Uh, but do you see that? Is there that sense of we? Are we working together? Are we communicating, really? Yeah, I think, yes, I, I think it's happening uh, as, as we speak. Um, and there's a lot of talk around ecosystems and, and how to build ecosystems uh, around specific topics. And I think circularity is one of the core examples where ecosystems, cooperations and partnerships are required. Um, I think it's, it's very difficult, I would argue almost impossible for a single company to be circular all by itself. Um, so you need to work with all the different parties. So if you are a company that produces uh, construction material, you will need to work with the construction companies. You will need to work with the architects. You will need to work with the cities in order to make sure that you actually create a smart urban environment that basically supports sustainability goals, uh, and that's the societal, the environmental, and the economic goals, um, and also complies with circular economy principles in that context. Um, what we're seeing at the moment very often is that that chain is broken. So an architect plans a house, hands something over to the building party, the building party builds the house and then hands it over to a real estate company. But there's no continuity across across that and consistency across the life cycle um, of a building from the starting point to the end point. And that's, I think, where topics like the, the digital passport, uh, material passport or building passports comes into into play where you start basically to look at how is the building built, what are the materials being used, how can we make sure the building is maintainable, um, we can basically bring in materials, we can upgrade the house, we can rebuild the house, we can build a modular house so that you can actually live with the house uh, over a, a longer time period. Um, I think we're seeing that a lot in the built environment. Um, 
But in other areas of our society, we don't see that necessarily. So if you buy a house, you're already thinking about how can I sell the house? The house is something long term. If I refer back to the pen you mentioned earlier, if you buy a pen, you're not necessarily thinking about can it be repaired? Can I resell the pen? Um, what happens at the end of the life cycle? So from that point of view, we need to make sure that this mindset of how can we utilize our resources more long term is basically utilized and embedded into all different aspects of, of our doing and, and living in that context. So would you say that the one the main challenge or one of the main challenge is this communication, is this continuity from the material manufacturer to the constructor to the real estate developer to the so that we all are in the same channel, in the same page? Is it 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 adds a level of complexity um to to the whole topic. And and if you're a company uh, traditionally you had visibility maybe one or two steps in both directions to, to your suppliers and to your customers, but not further than that. If we think about circularity, um, you actually need to start developing an end-to-end -end value chain perspective that basically starts from the raw material, where it's sourced, how it's basically um, brought to your company, but also all the way to the customer, to the use phase, to the end of life cycle, and then potentially back into, into circulation. And that adds a level of complexity that many companies are currently trying to understand and, and trying to address. But yeah, I, I agree. I think that is one of the key critical factors um, that companies, but also public organizations and individuals are struggling with. Because that's something that we are, we are listening more and more. And the, at least from, if, if the starting point Talking about materials, if the starting point is the manufacturer or even the supplier for, for, for that matter, um, the supply chain from cradle to gate, meaning mm -hmm. so from the point that we um, sell the material, so that is that is pretty straightforward so far, at least in, in many uh, uh, for many manufacturers. We have the visibility of the whole supply chain. Um, it is it is certified. There's some life cycle assessment behind. There's an environment product declaration behind certifying every every step and stating uh, third party verified stating the carbon mm. footprint, etc. But once it's out, once it's out, kind of yeah, we we, we not that we lose control, but it's we, we don't know where where that goes and where there's there's the APD there. Okay, there you go. Yeah. There's a product. There's APD. And uh, what we have seen, the next step or the next, when we hand over that to the, yeah, to the next person in the race, uh, great, there's an EPD. How do I read this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Or maybe they, they are comparing things, different materials, different. So, and they have two EPDs and, uh, well, different formats, different things, so uh, which matches with which. And so at least that's the first step that we are seeing that it needs more communication, more framework, more, I don't know. How do you see this? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think you're making a very, very important point there. And I think that is where regulation, but also standardization comes into play um, to make sure that you, you speak a consistent language uh, across across the value chain. Um, 
Also, uh, I think what we will see develop is new business models where you're basically going away from a from a I sell you a product model to more a rental model or to more a collaborative model uh, down down the chain. So where where a company will actually work together with the construction companies, work together with the real estate companies, more on a long term long term contract or long term partnership. Uh, set up and and also make sure that that these long term partnerships are are actually understood uh, across the value chain. But I, I I fully agree with you, and and that's that's a challenge in circularity, but also in the broader sustainability agenda. Um, and we see the same challenge in the B two B as well as in the B two C space. Um, in the B two B space, you still have a very a, a smaller set of customers that you're communicating with. In the B2C space, if you want to get across all the different sustainability aspects for a specific product or even the circularity aspects, you basically have a very, very long list that you need to basically add in the back of the of the packaging. Um, so you, you, you will have a challenge with that. And without standardization, we've seen that with nutritions and, and with ingredients, once the standardization happens, you basically start to see things becoming more comparable in that context and, and people getting more used to what they're looking at and how to interpret and how to use uh, that information. So would you say that if we just jump a bit out of the construction industry, would you say that what you quote as B2C world is our Are those industries more innovative or which other best practices or, or good things are you seeing in, in across different industries? So circular economy actually is following what we call the R strategies. So um, basically refuse, reduce, reduce usage of resources and reduce usage of products. Then repair, make sure that products are repairable, Uh, reuse, make sure that products can be reused or components of products can be reused. Um, they can be refurbished, for example. And then at the end of the life cycle, recycle and recover. And we are basically seeing a lot of innovation across the board currently in, in all of these areas. So if you think about sharing platforms, So there's there's a very broad spectrum of sharing platforms, be it for household appliances, but also in the industrial context. So for heavy machinery, where, where companies are basically um, listing their heavy machinery um, and they borrow it to, to other companies. So with that, you're basically reducing the utilization or you're increasing the utilization and you're reducing the use of material. Um, we see more and more companies implement circular design principles in order to basically use either bio-based material or recycled material or make sure that the products can be um, repaired and, uh, and can be reused at the end of their, of their life cycle. Um, we see a lot of take-back uh, models. Um, both in the textile industry as well as in many other industries um, where companies are actually offering incentives for their customers if they return products so that they can do a one-to-one -one, uh, reuse of materials uh, in their products. Um, 
but there's also also very many other other areas where mm -hmm. where we see that uh, solutions are currently being implemented uh, uh, around these R strategies that I mentioned in, in order to keep products either longer in usage and with that expand the utilization of of materials or then make sure that they can be reused or recycled mm -hmm. at, at the end uh, of the life cycle. Circular design principles. That's something that sounds, I mean, at least we have not heard of, maybe you are a bit detached from that world. Can you elaborate a bit more? What are these principles, these circular design principles? Yeah, yeah, happy to do that. So, so circular design principles are, are very often integrated into the R&D or product development principles that companies have. Um, where you're basically extending existing principles with um, guidelines or with information or design principles around the utilization of resources, uh, materials. So to basically give your designer um, a hint that in the design process, they should basically look at what are the best recyclable materials or can virgin materials be replaced with recycled materials or bio-based materials. Um, in the design process to basically have a step uh, to understand are we basically using the components in our product as efficiently as possible. So we, some time back, we did a, a circular economy project with, um, with a company. And as part of the process, we basically asked the participant in the workshop to look at one of their own products and take it apart and basically look at what, what are the components? How could you basically design the same product with circular design uh, in mind? And the first thing they found out was that there were springs used in the product and there were actually multiple springs used. And the first question was like, why are we using multiple springs? Why are we not using one? That would do the same thing, it would do the same job, and it would uh, reduce our resource utilization in the specific product. So, um, so looking at things from that perspective and looking with circularity, longevity, reusability in mind can actually, as, as we established in the beginning, drive a very significant impact down the road in the use phase or then also at, at the end of lifetime uh, of products, of, um, of buildings, of, of very many different, different aspects. Actually, yeah, coming back to, to the raw materials, what, mm -hmm. you, what you mentioned, so at the start of, of, the, of the journey, when we are designing, we are creating whatever, whatever is the product, uh, talking about the raw materials, which innovations have you seen? Um, which are the, the the raw materials that you think is are are ahead of of the other ones? I mean, talking about I mean, there could be plastic, there could be metal or, or steel, there could be concrete, there could be I mean, many things that mm -hmm. uh, are are used at, uh, right now in the construction industry. But any insight? Well, how, how do you see these these raw materials being sustainable or not? Uh. Or, or, or not. Um, so there's there's a very broad spectrum of, of things that is currently happening in the in the construction uh, space, uh, but also more broadly in the in the urban in, environment when when it comes to 
raw materials, use of raw materials, but but also in the utilization. Um, I think one trend we're seeing, and that's something that's most recent in the in the um, in the demolishing of buildings. Uh, traditionally, you would have basically one big basket, and all the waste would go in there, and and that would go either to the landfill or to the incineration. Um, but there wouldn't be much done with that. What we're seeing today is basically an effort to reuse a lot of the materials. The, the regulation is not always supporting that uh, today, uh, but we see that a lot of the materials of demolished buildings are reused in different contexts or in a similar context going forward. Um, we see in, in the space of concrete, you mentioned concrete is very energy uh, intense as, as an industry. So we currently see a lot of efforts around electrification uh, in that space. So how can you electrify specific steps? But also, how can we replace specific ingredients with recycled material or with side streams from other uh, from other industries. That's why, uh, back to the point earlier, why the cooperation even across industry is so important because side streams or waste streams, if you want, from one industry could actually be a very good input uh, for, for other industries uh, in that context. Um, what we're seeing a lot is basically harmful materials being replaced by bio-based materials. Um, you see a lot of more wood being used in the construction nowadays uh, than, than in the past. So there, there's very many different aspects that you can be looking at. There's, uh, there's a lot of effort put also into digital solutions at the moment. Uh, where I mentioned the material passport or the building passport, uh, where startups or companies are looking to actually collect the data in a central way so that either a real estate company or private person actually has an end-to-end -end documentation of what, what was done in the house, what materials have been used, and so on and so forth. So there's a multifaceted set of activities that, that are currently ongoing from a material science point of view through uh, more operational topics all the way down to the to the end of life the recycling the reuse of materials in that context and again very many different parties involved so so uh, the companies that are producing uh, the the building material the construction material but also the companies that are building the companies that are operating the buildings as well as the municipalities and cities that are actually putting legislation in place, that are actually creating the platform to drive circularity in that context and resource efficiency. Because one of the things that uh, we have seen as well is that to be recycled material, sometimes it's, as you said, it ends up in the landfill, ends up in incineration, and uh, for, for our purpose, the plastic, okay, we have certain products where the standard legislation allows to use recycled. Where is that yeah. recycled? Sometimes we are falling short of. <laughs> so where's uh, where's that uh, that part of plastic that should come back? Um, sometimes it's, I just it's part of the system that is is not really coming back to to uh, to the industry. Or actually, one of the first guests that we had uh, uh, here over a year ago was uh, one of the pioneer companies in Denmark who started mm -hmm. to do this 40 years ago already. Yeah. They were recycling plastic 40 years ago with okay, the technology at the time, but still 
he was saying that, hey, it's still a challenge to get this used plastic. Okay, we sort it out, we divide, etc. But it's a still it's still a problem. Yeah, and and if, if you look at plastic specifically, plastic is not plastic. So so you have very different types of plastics. So so pet plastic, for example, um, can be easily recycled and and can be reused uh, very easily. There's other um, forms of plastic that is not so easy to recycle and reuse. Um, and in specific industries, I mean, if you look at the food industry, food packaging, um, if you collect plastic waste from homes uh, across across the country, across the world, you basically start contaminating the plastic and it cannot be used for the same purpose it was used for in the first place. So there, there's a lot of things that need to be sorted out uh, around um, recycling and reuse of plastic. At the same time, what we're already seeing, uh, and I had an interesting discussion with a, with a company a couple of months back. Um, they are actually look at, looking at, uh, in the construction industry, to use recycled aluminium. And what they're saying is our market is basically demanding very high recycled aluminium content in our products, up to 80% in, in many cases. At the same time, there is no market for recycled aluminium. There is no recycled aluminium available in the market because the, the automotive industry is basically buying up all the recycled aluminium. So, so um, if we think about recycled material usage and, and all of that, I think companies also need to start thinking what is their strategy to secure recycled material, recycled material streams, but also back to your point, how do you make these uh, materials recyclable? There's technical development. We're now talking about chemical recycling instead of, of, um, of other, other ways of recycling. Um, that will help. But that, again, is then very energy intensive. So there will be trade-offs with other sustainability targets that companies have uh, in, in that context. So... Um, there's there's very various aspects you need to take into consideration, even in that recycling space. Uh, if if you think about that, and and it's a much broader topic than basically just saying like, oh yeah, let's use recycled plastic, because that's that's basically the name of the game today. Because it's kind of a, a, a balance acting, a balance act, because you are getting uh, material to be recycled. Okay, I am offsetting or I am reducing carbon footprint in X mix amount, whatever, because I'm using, uh, I'm recycling, but in the process of recycling, I am using energy, electricity, whatever, and then we are we are saving in one way, in one side, and we are spending in the other side. So it's like, how do we balance this? Like, really? Absolutely. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a huge question. It's a, it's a huge equation that, that you're trying to solve here for. And um, I mentioned chemical recycling and, and the energy consumption there. But the other component is, is logistics. So if you think about, um, and I had a discussion about that some time back, uh, about the foam that's used for windows uh, as, as isolation. And you think about recycling that. So you, you, you take down a building, you take all the foam, you put it on a truck. It weighs virtually nothing. So the truck is virtually empty. It drives all across Europe 
to a recycling plant somewhere. It's recycled there, and then it's basically carried all the way back to the next construction site. From an environmental footprint point of view, how, how, how is your outcome? Are you positive or are you basically creating more CO2 with your logistics and, and all of the things around it compared to basically creating new material that will basically be produced at the location? So I think there's a lot of topics uh, that need to be taken into consideration. And we're talking with, with uh, urbanistas here. We're talking about urban planning. And... When you talk about circularity and sustainability, one aspect is naturally to think about the usage of material and resources, both in the building phase, but also in the operational phase of, of an urban environment. At the same time, I think what we will be more and more looking at is how will the urban environment support sustainability and circularity? How will, for example, the planning of industrial areas in cities support industrial symbiosis? How will I enable citizens living in an urban space to live in a circular way by placing repair shops, shops very close by, by enabling them with services and, and with, with the logistics around circularity. So that will be an additional requirement when I think about planning cities, planning urban spaces. How do I enable a sustainable, a circular, a smart way of living going forward uh, in that context? Yeah, as, as you said, it's taking this broad holistic view because the urban planner can design and can put everything perfectly rounded, uh, circular economy, environmentally friendly, whatever you want to call it, is perfectly rounded. And then it gets delivered. We start building the materials based on bio-based materials or, or, or uh, sustainable uh, renewable raw materials come into place. Great. But those materials are transported by the construction company or whoever is the, the contractor, are transported in trucks that still use diesel. Like mm -hmm. normal diesel, or maybe they use they are electric, mm -hmm. but from where does the electricity that is that is feeding those trucks come? Is how the the, the contamination, the third party contamination, or contaminated mm -hmm. somewhere else? Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. it is it is electricity, but that electricity was produced at the origin using mm -hmm. fossil uh, materials. Mm -hmm. It's a huge puzzle, <laughs> and and we may or may not have visibility of all those things. Uh, It's so complicated. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you combine that with our world today, where basically reading the headline and swiping left or right is is very common. So, so you, you basically combine that with a world where the attention span of a lot of people is, is very low. And then you bring a very complex topic that's very multifaceted into the discussion. And that, that is a challenge today. And that's why... why education, taking people with you and basically making the whole topic experienceable. So, so basically bringing the topic from a very abstract, very complex level down to a very, very um, experienceable level where people really understand what does that mean in my context and, and how do I do that? Uh, we've recently been working with a construction company 
um, as, as they basically said, circularity, sustainability is a very important topic for us. And um, our leadership team understands the topic very well. But we need to find a way to actually bring the topic down to the construction site, down to the shop floor, where the people are actually really having an impact on a, on a day-to-day basis, because they will be sorting the waste. They will be using the material. They will make sure that we use energy and water efficiently at the construction site, and so on and so forth. Um, and I think that is something that we really need to start looking into. How do we bring these topics in an experienceable, relatable way to the place where the work is actually being done? And and that includes architects, that includes construction, but that then also includes real estate companies um, and the people that do the maintenance of buildings or of of the whole infrastructure in that context. To create more awareness of the whole circular economy concept is education, Mm -hmm. education, education. Who's who's pushing for this? What what have you seen uh, that is... I mean, companies or, or, or sectors that are really trying hard to communicate, to educate uh, uh, the rest of the industry. So, I mean, it starts with, with, with guys like us, Delphin, talking about the topic and, and, and basically, basically making sure that, that, that people are aware of it. Um, and, and I think that that is one of the things. So very recently, I had a guest in my podcast and what she said is, you know, we very often as consumers or as users, we discuss about the fact that companies are not sustainable and, and how we want companies to be more sustainable and more circular. But then the minute we step our foot into the door of the office, we forget all about that and we become com- corporate people and we basically do the same thing we always did. We are so, sustainable from eight to four and then four zero one, we just go out and buy whatever in supermarket and we don't care about it. Exactly. <laughs> so, so I think it starts with all of us to basically educate ourselves. Uh, there's naturally a formal side of it. There's the formal education system that more and more needs to take these things into consideration from a very early age um, in, in, the, in the educational context. Um, but it also is a responsibility of companies to be advocates and, and to start talking about these things. And we're seeing this actually more and more, to be fair, that, that companies are going out, that they're talking about the topics, that they're educating their employees, that they're educating their customers uh, around the topic. Now, personally, is it happening on the extent it should? Um, I'm always a big fan of we can accelerate and we can do more uh, in this context. Um, But we see that these things are happening and and that we're moving in the direction. And um, having two teenage sons, I, I see that the younger generation is much more aware of these mm-hmm. topics and this is already much more taking these into consideration in their everyday thinking and their mm-hmm. everyday approach on on not necessarily buying but but basically buying secondhand or or renting things or reusing things repurposing things very often you talk about accelerating this process but what is preventing that that we move and we move forward and we move faster is it cultural is it the legend i mean may, may, there may be many things one thing that we have seen is it may be culturally maybe in the in the dna it may be in what, what's on their water that they drink in the nordic countries across the nordic countries they are uh clearly they are ahead of 
the rest of Europe in many aspects. But within the Nordic countries, Denmark is actually mm. making uh, headwaves. Norway, they are there, I'm mean, with specific legislation. Um, Sweden, Finland, well, they are there more or less or trying to catch up uh, also, also in Finland. Um, how do you see this? Who is, not who is ahead of who, but what mm. factors are the ones that are accelerating or, or making it slower, this process? Mm. It's, a, it's a very good question. Um, and we, we see some countries, as you said, uh, being able to, to take the lead and to accelerate these topics. We see some company, company, uh, countries in the middle of the pack, and we see some countries lagging behind uh, in, in, this, in this topic. Um, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of a picture that's very often uh, um, shared in social media, where the first picture is who wants change and everyone raises their hand. And then, and then the second question is who wants to change, and and everyone is basically looking to the floor and and basically pretending they haven't heard the question, and and that's exactly the thing here that that very often you hear like yeah we need to be more sustainable we need to address the climate crisis the biodiversity loss the freshwater scarcity and and all of these things, but. I, I cannot be expected to change. Um, and that's the same on corporate and on individual level uh, very often. So um, I think it actually needs to be a combination of many things. Um, it needs to be a combination of regulation, um, of, of basically um, setting the right frame, um, a combination of education, as, as we just established, telling people how they can contribute and, and making sure that they understand and make it experienceable uh, for them. Um, and and it's, it's also about creating the urgency uh, uh, behind it and, and changing our, our thinking, thinking process uh, uh, around it. Um, in in that context, with the with the tools and the mechanisms that we have, and take responsibility as companies, as citizens, as individuals in the process uh, going going forward. Now, saying that, I think there are some really promising signals that that we that we get, and and I think we've seen specifically over the past years many companies that really take responsibility and take the topic serious. Uh, and are really working hard on these topics. We established it's complex, it's difficult, it's not an easy step, so so it will take time. Um, but we see an accelerated focus on on these topics, um, and and hopefully that that will help all of us to to basically drive these topics topics forward in combination of all of these different stakeholders. There is un unfortunately no silver bullet. Uh, here, where, where we could easily copy something, because it's it's all very, very contextual and and very dependent on the country, on the society, on the development, uh, and all of that. Or we, because we have been talking about the different stakeholders and okay, construction mm -hmm. industry or not, but it's more like uh, an institutions. Talking about mm -hmm. institutions, um, you also mentioned like like citizens that you and me, the normal person outside there in the street, as, as a consumers. What what can we could we do as a citizen as a, as a consumers to more actively promote um, mm. circularity? Is is there something that comes to mind, or is there some some ideas and research that you have mm. been involved in at, at a grassroots level movement or something like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean there, there there's a lot of things we we can actually do. 
I, I believe. I, I think it starts with our everyday buying decisions. Uh, as, as you mentioned earlier, not go out and, and buy the cheapest uh, product, um, but buy a product with, with circularity in mind. Um, there's also other examples. I, I very recently spoke with the founder of Circular Berlin, which is a grassroots initiative in Berlin, basically driving circularity in the city um, with with a group of, of people really looking at how can circularity be done, looking at the material streams, how can companies and organizations be supported, how can we educate different parts of the population, be it companies, be it, be it citizens uh, in that context. So th there's a lot of things we can do in, in that context. One thing is naturally to bring the topic up also in the discussions and discourse in the political space. Um, we're living in a world, specifically in, in many of the Western countries, where uh, the, the election cycle is basically driving the political agenda. So if politicians, if governments start realizing how important these topics are for their success in the next election, that's an important uh, element in that context. So there, there's a lot of, of, I would say, micro actions that you can take. Um, and at the end of the day, as I, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we're citizens, we're individuals, but we're also basically working in the corporate context. So um, we have the possibility for our companies, uh, for our organizations to raise the topic up and, and discuss it with our colleagues, with our bosses, with our customers. Um, and make sure that it is on the agenda of our companies, of our governments, and, and our cities and municipalities. But still, takes time. Absolutely. Takes time. How do you see this in, in perspective of one year, two years, ten years in our generation? It's it's a it's a difficult question because time is one of the things we don't have and, and we see that um, if, if you if you read the news if you look at research findings uh, across the board uh, we're actually starting to run out of time and, and we need very urgent action um, so when it comes to me I hope we're we're getting getting uh, getting this uh, getting our act together so to say uh, within the next years, couple of years. Um, otherwise, we, we might actually not be able um, to address many of the challenges we, we are facing or will be facing. Um, but I think it's, a, it's about accelerating and it's about all of us doing our part and, and all of us contributing. And as in so many things, it's, it's the power of the, of the crowd. It's the power of the of society to actually drive change. And, one, and once it becomes top of the agenda of societies um, and of, of the world as a whole, I think then, then we're able to really accelerate the, the topics. Um, if companies see that they cannot sell their unsustainable products, they will be very fast to address the topic. But if they can still, still sell their products and, and still make good profits with their products, then there's no incentive to change and, and to, to address uh, different, different requirements in that context. So I, I think that's... Uh, in the end, it's an economic monetary incentive. Absolutely. At the end of, at the, end of the year, would you say that's the strongest <laughs> incentive? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I mean, you know, we've been building our economic systems for hundreds of years. 
Um, and now we're basically looking to change them within one or two years. Um, structured uh, thinking processes, mindsets, approaches that have been growing over generations um, that now need to be changed in a in a very very rapid pace. And and we see that change is has always been slow and difficult, and and it takes takes effort to to put it in place. Um, I think the incentive is is undeniable. Um, there is an incentive to do these changes, as we already see now what the alternative is. Um, so I hope that for all of us, that's a signal to accelerate and and also make changes that might not be the changes that we that we want to do and that might be painful uh, at times. If you would be sending a message to the people planning the cities, developing the cities, what would be your, your, your key message summarizing this conversation? How would you like to say that this is the way or this is the main thing that you have to think if, you, if we want to have circular cities within a year, a decade or? I, I think, I think it's, it's about making sure that you get out of your bubble, that you get out of your, your traditional way of thinking and that you familiarize yourself with circularity, but also more broadly sustainability aspects of urban planning, of construction, of all of these different aspects. And, you know, in some areas, you might think like circularity is not relevant for me. Um, if you're an energy company, yeah, what's circularity in the energy context? How, how can energy be circular? If you're a water company, how can water be circular? Um, but all of the resources we're using in an urban context are scarce, are limited uh, on, on our planet. So wherever you are in the urban planning process, be it you're working with concrete, you're working with aluminium in building a house, you're working with water, uh, you're working with energy, you're working with all of these different resources, um, familiarize yourself with sustainability principles, familiarize yourself with circularity principles, ingrain them into your normal process of doing things, and make sure you talk with your colleagues, with your suppliers, with your partners about the topics so that you can jointly address the topic and see how you can build better solutions going forward. I think that would be the, the main thing um, I would be asking for um, if, if I would be, if I would be uh, asked to put it into some sentences. Sorry, it wasn't one sentence. It was no, 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 uh, no, for, for, yeah, more that, of a that, speech. <laughs> that was a blast. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Michael. This has been really a really insightful conversation. And if I even could uh, commit you, let's say within six months or so, can we catch up again? Let's let's see how are we progressing. Hopefully, yeah, progressing. Um, yes. What what is the latest that you have seen? Well, looking to 2024, that will be really nice to have that uh, kind of update. How are we moving? How are we progressing? Absolutely, more than happy. It was a pleasure. Thanks, so thank you. Thank you very much, Michael. And the urbanistas, you listen directly from the expert what you should have in your mind. So thank you so much for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Urbanista podcast, a production of Upono Infra 
the leader in sustainable infrastructure solutions. If you found it interesting, why don't you share it with your colleagues? We all together can move our industry forward.